0: The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host. Get with me is a guy who got out of a parking ticket by being confused with Jason Bateman, my co-host. Hey
1: everybody, it's Nico and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, we're going to be reviewing Castle, Young Justice, Psych, Person of Interest, Supernatural, and Fringe. Also, we will be revealing what Dan and I thought were the funniest parts of this week's episode of Modern Family, The Big Bang Theory, and Community.
0: But before that, we have a favorite of all of you ATA listeners, our famous movie and TV news section, posted by Nico. (music)
1: It may come as no surprise, but ABC has officially canceled its Charlie's Angels remake after just four episodes. ABC put us viewers out of our misery because that show was just plain horrible. The best news coming out of this announcement is that Minka Kelly is available to work again, and maybe she'll end up on another great show like Friday Night Lights. Miles Miller and Alfred Goh, the guys behind the creation of Smallville, Tried to take themselves way too serious in this show, and it was terrible. So hopefully they can do better next time as well.
0: And this shout-out to uh, listener Jay Coleman, guess Alan and Miles were high this time.
1: Die Hard 5. Yeah, I said Die Hard 5. Has a title and release date set now. A Good Day to Die Hard is set to release February 14th, 2013. I know. Valentine's Day 2013 is the release date for Die Hard 5. But that sounds about right. You know, Bruce Willis blowing shit up is the perfect romantic outing in my book. Though, that might be why I'm still single.
0: I just hope that movie's not going to be a Valentine's Day massacre.
1: Was anyone really looking for another Die Hard movie? I mean, come on. Today in Awesome, Netflix and The CW are new best friends... Earlier this week, Netflix inked a potential billion-dollar deal with the CW to stream the fledgling network's back catalog for the next eight years. That means that soon you'll be able to see Supernatural and Smallville back-to-back-to-back. Yes. The stream for all begins next fall in 2012, but some of the shows will be available as soon as today. I'm not sure whether Supernatural or Smallville will be next fall or right away but this is good news for those shows and for netflix
0: i heard to the grapevine they're going to try to get out supernatural as soon as possible due to the popularity of that show
1: a first look at katie holmes as the slutty pumpkin with pictures is available on our facebook page do you remember when katie holmes was just hot and not hot but married to a crazy guy because i do Ah, Dawson's Creek. Those were the good old days. Regardless, her appearance on How I Met Your Mother for Halloween will be awesome. The always beautiful and lovely Julie Benz will be reuniting with her vampire love Angel, I mean Booth, I mean David Boreanaz, on an upcoming episode of Bones this fall. Benz, who played Darla to Boreanaz's Angel, will be a guest cameo on the show later this season. Not many details yet, But keep an eye out for her. Interesting. Sons of Anarchy got renewed for season 5 yesterday. Season 5 will run for 13 episodes, and if history is any indicator, it will debut in September of 2012.
0: And also, with that, I could see that being a final season for the show, possibly. Just where the
1: arc is going. Finally, in what could be considered good news or really bad news, depending on where you stand on the quality of the film so far... It seems that the Transformers movie franchise may not necessarily have ended with this past summer's Transformers Dark of the Moon. According to the latest report, Hasbro Toys may be looking to keep the mega movie tentpole alive with not just one, but two sequels which will shoot back to back. While Moon was said to be the final film in the franchise for the director Michael Bay and star Shia LaBeouf, the fact that this film brought in 1.1 billion worldwide Maybe the reason that Paramount Studios and Hasbro cannot overlook that success. Right now, the toy company is in active discussions, quotations, with Paramount, along with Michael Bay, who would stay on as executive producer, and Steven Spielberg, also in a producer capacity, regarding the continuation of this giant robot saga.
0: If they kept Pirates going, they're going to probably try Transformers as well.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. And that's the news with Nico for this week.
0: Yeah, and with that news, we're going to go into talking about a show that's still just as exciting as ever, Castle, with the episode, The Eye of the Beholder.
1: A wealthy museum patron is a suspect when a valuable sculpture is stolen. Castle and Beckett investigate the thief or the theft with the help of an insurance investigator who sets her sights on Castle.
0: After having so many plot threads to tie up from last season, this was the first time we really got to see what I think is the comedic side of Castle put on display. I mean, we got glimpses of our favorite mystery writer's sense of humor in the cryogenics episode two weeks ago, but this week it felt like the witty banter for sarcasm that we've come to expect from Castle, was really shining through, thanks to him becoming tantalized by a female insurance investigator, otherwise known as a thief, who says she's become an art recovery expert. So in other words, most of the funny moments from Castle come from him getting in and out of the doghouse with Beckett. who becomes jealous of the insurance investigator. Now, as we've seen in the past with Castle's Ex-wife, Gina, and the actress set to play Nikki Heat. Beckett is very opposed to women who move in on her territory. But she always seems to be, at least in these past episodes, on top of the situation by being able to tease Castle. or play hard to get But he picks up on her feelings of jealousy. However, this time around, the thought of Castle looking up with another woman really got under Beckett's skin. To the point that she brought it up to her psychiatrist, and also allowed her personal feelings to impede her investigation. So this, of course, leads to my question: For you, Nico, do you think that it was out of place to see Beckett, cultural psychologist, go out the jealousy she's experienced, go see Castle with another woman?
1: No, Dan. I've, I think that her feelings for Castle, the fact that she is not ready for a real relationship and her fear that she, she met Castle at the wrong time and that she may miss out on the love of her life are the reasons that she went back into therapy despite getting the all clear from the therapist to return to duty. So I think it's normal that these are the triggers that would send her to her therapist for this discussion. Also, I love the way that this scene was cut together with both Castle and Beckett talking to their, quote, therapists. Castle's being his mom. You know, Martha tends to play that part for him. But they were both talking about their dysfunctional relationship and it was cutting back and forth. And I thought that was perfect. And the therapist makes my point here for me when he asks Beckett, what are you really scared of? That he won't wait for you or that he will? So I think it was it was the right move for her to be talking to the therapist because it was one I think that is her number one concern right now is that she knows she's not emotionally ready for the relationship, right. but she doesn't want to lose Castle because she knows that he quite possibly is the love of her life, so she's in a tough spot
0: well, really, I thought. Bayside Castle dropping the I love you bomb that that's changed everything and it overwhelmed her to the point that she needs to go for help with these matters now you know it's beyond teasing it's beyond playing around or flirting around with them this is something serious and she just doesn't know how to handle it yet yeah I think we're in agreement on that I just wanted to see what you took out of those scenes that acknowledges how well done it was I mean it felt like even though Castle and Beckett were talking to their therapists or their advisors. It was structured in a way that felt like Castle Beckett. Beckett were almost talking to each other as well. So I thought that was really an impressive and well done scene. So I wanted to acknowledge that. Another good thing that came out of Beckett going to her psychiatrist is that Michael Dorn, who played Worf, which is one of my favorite characters on Star Trek The Next Generation, has a job That's his psychiatrist character. And I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed since he is a known actor, that he will maybe develop into a Dr. Lance Sweets character uh, for the show. Eventually building up to the point where he may help Beckett get her team perform psychological profiles on the criminals they are investigating on maybe an episode or every other episode basis. I also liked how Beckett's jealousy towards the insurance agent really set up that great sequence where Beckett had Castle ask the agent out so she could search her hotel room. Honestly, this 10-minute segment was excellent and one of my favorite parts of the episode because it captured all the flair that attracts me to watching the USA show White Collar on an episode by episode basis. And it had the scene transitions set up in the same way as the scene with Beckett's her therapist. It was just set up with this perfect timing for Ryan and Esposito to fulfill their classic roles of giving Castle and Beckett a hard time about their feelings for each other. Both Ryan and Esposito just had great moments where they just gave Beckett crap about having feelings for Castle, and it was just really hilarious. And even the writers were able to sort of get Captain Gates in on their comedic fun as this whole sequence ends with her coming to the discovery that her decision to use a consultant who actually knows what she's doing in the insurance agent might have not been such a great idea. So Nico, I kind of watch your thoughts on the whole sequence where Castle was told by Beckett to ask the insurance agent out on a date. And really all the comedic turmoil it caused him. I just love that scene where Castle's outside the interrogation room freaking out because Beckett told him to do it. She told him to ask the insurance agent out and she still up with him. I just thought all that stuff was hilarious. What do you think of it?
1: Yeah, I liked it. It was great. I liked how it went against what both characters really wanted but fit into what they felt was what the other wanted them to do. So Castle didn't want to date her but felt that Beckett was pushing him towards that both for the case and maybe for personal reasons while Beckett didn't really want Castle to date her but felt that it was exactly what maybe Castle wanted to do. Or at least maybe what he should do in her mind. So it made for great tension and a lot of great comedic moments. And you're absolutely right. The way that they shot it with him on the date and then them up in the room and Ryan and Esposito, especially Esposito in this scene, really giving Beckett the third degree about her and Castle and and Beckett trying to play it off as, I don't know what you're talking about, but not really doing it very well. I thought this was the best part of this whole thing. Yeah, after the fact when he kisses her to try and allow Beckett to get out of the room, that was a funny moment. And then afterwards when she's giving him grief about it and won't let him into the interrogation, that was a lot of fun as well. But I think really the scene where they're searching her hotel room is the best part of that whole sequence.
0: Well, the actor that plays Esposito, he played it so subtly, where it's like he doesn't care at some points, and then he does. And it's just funny how they do a very good job of picking the right times for him to acknowledge it and not, to make it funny. So I give him props for that. Yeah. They have great timing. This was classic. Would you say this is classic castle comedy and flirtation,
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: And kind of, even though it wasn't the episode's primary focus, I thought this was much more of one of their more comedic mysteries. But I did like how this week's investigation still kind of used the techniques of a classic Castle-themed mystery. By all of the art thieves that Beckett and Castle looked at as suspects in this episode, including the insurance agents, all had kind of this Certain brand of dialogue and code of honor between each other, really similar to like the magicians and the steampunk people that we ran into in mysteries last year in some of those themed episodes and again, since arts thieves seem to be a one-week theme with this episode, I have a feeling that the insurance agent, who was a great character this episode, is only going to be a one-hit wonder, but I wouldn't leave it out of the cards that Castle doesn't develop another love interest or get a new girlfriend sometime this season, especially with Alexis leaving for college and Martha trying to set him up with another woman. And I also thought that was quite hilarious how Martha, the last woman she set Castle up with, was his ex-wife. I thought that was quite amusing. But with that, I'm going to get it over to you, Nico. with any other thoughts you might have had on this episode or this crackpot theory about Castle... Getting a new love or having some kind of love interest this season.
1: I thought the final scene of this episode was perfect. This was indeed a one-hit wonder episode for Kristen Lehman, who played the insurance investigator, because she said in her final line of the episode, it's like I said, I don't steal things that belong to someone else. So essentially she was saying that Castle's already taken. Right. As for Castle getting a new girlfriend, I don't see that happening. And here's why. I think we will continue to get these kinds of episodes we saw this week where there is a potential love interest, but it never seems to work out. And we'll see it the other way around as well, I think, with a few potentials for Beckett entering the mix, but never being right for her, which will let us you know, get a great scene where Castle gets okay. to be jealous again. But I have a feeling that this is the way the season is planned to go. I think that they're going to go back and forth and there's going to be a lot of false starts, but... Eventually, we're going to get these last second scenes we saw this week where they went out for burgers to try and repair to get back to where they were when Castle told her he loved her. And I think we're going to get there maybe at the end of this season. I don't know if that means that they're going to get together. It's too early for this great show to be over i don't think it's going to get there yet but i don't want them to throw a huge monkey wrench in it again as well because i think they've done that a couple times and we're beyond that now so I i don't know i did have a final note i have to say that this episode was my favorite episode of the season so far because like you said at the beginning dan it felt much like our man Castle was finally back to himself. Yeah. The the humor in this episode was better than we've seen thus far this season, and the Castle-Beckett relationship was great and had us back to hoping to see it happen soon. So, all in all, this was a great episode, and I liked it.
0: I would say this was the best episode this season when it came to form and what we're used to seeing from this show. I th- kind of think that the best episode was last week's episode, from a mystery, police procedural standpoint. I I think those are the two strongest episodes we've seen so far. For a traditional Castle episode, this one was a classic episode and very much felt like what we were seeing in Season 3. And I think next week's going to follow suit with that as well, with the Ghostbusters thing. That's going to be very fun. Are you covered on everything with Castle, Nico? I think we hit everything. Go With that, we're going to move on to a show... That an episode that I was very, very pleased with and kind of answered my request. So I was very happy with this episode. The episode of the Cartoon Network hit series, Young Justice, entitled Revelation.
1: While the Justice League combats a worldwide outbreak of plant creatures, Batman sends Young Justice to deal with the villains responsible, the Injustice League.
0: It's official. The writers of Young Justice are listening to this podcast or just have really good timing because this week's episode got everything that we were calling for in last week's episode by deciding to clean up the dangling plot lines that we were complaining about into an explanation that all the objects stolen by the bad guys in the past 13 episodes were used by the Injustice League to create the outbreak of plant creatures which the Justice League battles in this episode. So Nico, what was your thoughts on these dangling plot lines that were complaining about and thought kind of was throwing the show all over the place being used as the components for the Injustice League's plant creatures? Did this tie everything up kind of did to a nice neat little bow for you?
1: Yeah, Dan, they seem to have brought it all together in a way that will still allow us to continue to get some great cameo appearances from all kinds of supervillains with the entire Injustice League plotline kind of opening it up to anyone being in that with it being sort of a ruse. But the real villains will remain for now in the shadows hiding that they are in fact the light. So that final scene showed us that there are real puppet masters pulling the strings behind the scenes. But we're still going to be able to see all the characters which made this the first 13 episodes of this series so great with us seeing everybody from the entire universe are open game that's still going to be the case because they didn't close themselves off with the way they brought it all together right so i thought it was very well done and i think this will work very effectively for the series and could potentially last multiple seasons if they do it correctly from now on and i think they have done it so so far very well
0: So kind of to sum it up, what you're saying, they've made things less complicated by connecting threads, but also opening another door. Yes. Okay. I can go along with that. I thought they did a very nice, easy way of explaining it to everyone watching the show, from kids to comic book geeks like us. They had each of the characters kind of explain how everything all connected into this kind of nice, cut-and-dry, plain explanation, which was perfect. Because if you took too long explaining things, it would have taken away from all the great action of this episode. And after the weight of an explanation of what actually was going on with the bad guys was finally lifted off of our shoulders, this episode really gave us all the non-stop, jaw-dropping action that you'd expect from a superhero animated series. Just like this one, with the Justice League taking on an outbreak of plant creatures. While the members of Young Justice battled the Injustice League featuring the villains Count Vertigo, Poison Ivy, Black Adam, Wotan, the Ultra Humanite, Atomic Skull, and the Joker. And at the same time, what was great about these scenes with the Justice League especially battling the plant creatures were the superhero cameos that we got from big heavy hitters like Superman to the more obscure characters from the DC Universe. Such as Blue Devil and the Guy Gardner Green Lantern. So, Nico, what was some of your favorite superpowered, jaw-dropping, action-packed scenes from the episode? I mean, I feel like there were so many of them, and so much cool animated stuff going on. We had to acknowledge something. So, what was your favorite thing?
1: You know, I like the way they cut from one superhero to another, showing them fighting and then back and forth between both the Young Justice and the Justice League. So I don't have a particular favorite scene per se, but just the entire sequence and the way it was all cut together, That I thought that was great about this episode. And what I really liked was that the team... Uh, The Young Justice team used quite a bit of teamwork this episode with everyone helping each other out in order to complete the mission and to survive against the big-time bad guys that they were facing this time. And sometimes the team has to break before they can become strong, and it seems that last week's episode was the key to bringing them all together with that alpha male episode.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and it showcased to us that these characters have grown. Over the past 13 episodes. And you always want that development, which is good. I don't care if it's a kid's show or an adult show. Any kind of development is fun to watch. And you wanted to root on the characters in this episode because they succeeded at that teamwork. That seemed unlikely from before. For me, I'd say my favorites included the visuals of Black Canary, Green Arrow, and Red Arrow battling the plant creatures on the Star City Bridge. That whole thing where they were fighting on top of a bus and they did some cool stuff with Black Canary's Canary Scream. That was just a lot of fun to watch. Aqualad putting on the Dr. Fate helmet was a surprise. I didn't see that coming. And there were some really cool effects with that in the animation. And, of course, we got the classic Batman coming in to defeat the Joker and to help Robin out a bit. So that was pretty awesome stuff. Speaking of the Joker, I thought the portrayal of his character was kind of the only disappointing part of this episode. I don't know if it's because I've been or we've been spoiled by such great performances of the Joker character, by Heath Ledger, of course, and Mark Hamill. But the Young Justice version of the Joker really just came across, and Michael agreed with me on this, as too flat and serious. Plus, I felt that the laugh, which is the most important aspect of the Joker, I mean, that's his his laugh. It's what makes him iconic. It just wasn't there. And honestly, it really pains me to say this because the Joker in this episode was voiced by Brent Spiner, who played Data on Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, and he's an actor who I believe is highly capable of a performance that can easily equal or surpass the quality of acting that I kind of expect from someone like Keith Ledger or Mark Hamill. So, why does Brent Spiner want me to hate him after this young Justice? In big bang theory go what was your thoughts on the portrayal of the joker this episode nico
1: you know i liked it all right we've seen better portrayals for sure but brent spiner was fine in this episode in my opinion the only real flaw in his portrayal as you mentioned dan was the laugh was not up to snuff but i did think he played the psychotic multiple personalities insanity fairly well And I think he had some good jokes and a few one-liners mixed throughout the episode that really brought it all together for me. So I I was not as disappointed as maybe you were. But then again, the Joker is not as important to me as, as it is to you. I do enjoy him as a villain, but I don't live and die by the Joker.
0: Yeah, I understand where you're coming from on that. I just kind of wanted to get a second opinion on that. Because I am kind of biased sometimes.
1: Well, no, I think you had valid concerns. And I think that uh, the guys from IGN had similar concerns. And some of the people around the different comic websites, they had similar feelings that it was not up to what they have come to expect of the Joker's portrayal. But I think a lot of them were kind of a mix between us where they enjoyed it enough that it didn't really upset them. They just were not used to this portrayal, and so they they didn't enjoy it as much as maybe Mark Hamill or uh, Heath Ledger.
0: Well, and I could see Brent Spire, just because this is the type of actor he is, he was trying to make it his own. Yes. And maybe he needs another opportunity to work with it. He just hasn't refined it yet because people have such an image of what the Joker should be. Because of people like Heath Ledger or Mark Hamill. Maybe he hasn't developed or totally refined his stamp on it yet. So maybe I would say to them, if people are complaining about it, maybe give it a second chance. Moving forward, another aspect of this episode that I was slightly disappointed in. And I really can let it go. It's just this minor thing. Was We did get to see Captain Marvel fight Black Adam in this episode. After they went to the extent of getting Rob Lowe to come back the voice the captain for a second episode. But I have a feeling that this fight will be coming at some point, since it is shockingly revealed at the end of this episode, that the Justice League, as Nico kind of said earlier, we saw Junk Justice defeat in this episode, is actually a decoy. And the real group features villains who are much higher up the food chain, including Queen Bee, Ocean Master, Razal The Brain, Lex Luthor, Clarion the Witch Boy, and Vandal Savage. if you don't know who all these characters are, you can go ahead and look them up on Wikipedia. There's great explanations on who they all are. They're the big group that you don't want to mess with. And we'll see how the Young Justice team takes them on in the future. So with that, Nico, using your wonderful wisdom, can you tell us why this Real Injustice gang pulled such a ruse? Now, what do you think that their in-game plan will be? So I still kind of find it a little suspicious that some of these villains are working together. Again, I see Lex Luthor working on his own, much more so than teaming up with someone like Ra's al Ghul. But there might be another force at work.
1: Revelation certainly had several re- reveals this week, with the biggest happening yeah. right at the end, with the identity of the light being revealed. The twists and turns of this episode were perfect, it made it difficult to anticipate what was coming next, and resulted in both an action-packed episode, as we've talked about, but really a well-written story with obviously that big, huge reveal at the end. And that reveal was, the light shows that they have another card up their sleeve. With the Justice League and the team thinking they've got to the bottom of the secret society, the light reveals to the audience that the Injustice League served as just a proxy. And now they can initiate the next phase of their plan without the need to sneak around in the shadows. Now, I think by hiding behind these proxies, the light can get on with their ultimate goals, which, in my opinion, are increasing their own individual power and destroying the Justice League. So they can then fight amongst themselves for world domination. You know, it is suspicious that these supervillains would be working together since most, if not all, are complete narcissists. And many are sociopaths and psychopaths that do not play well with others. But I guess the desire to destroy the Justice League or rid the world of those pesky superheroes is enough of an incentive to work together for the time being to remove them. And when it's all done, the betrayals can begin.
0: Okay. Because there's still this conspiracy rumbling around the grapevine, Now they did reference it, is the Staros, that was what was in the episode where they go to where Aquaman lived, they go Mm -hmm. back to Atlantis, Yeah. that there's the Staros that was stolen. And rumor has it that the Staros are in control of different people within the Justice League and the society of supervillains. They're pulling the strings to somewhat cause this war to happen. So there's this possibility that this is happening because of the staros and they've manipulated the right people to make this happen but i don't know your theory is more interesting
1: well i think it's a realistic non-supernatural explanation
0: And i think with a lot of superhero stories now they're going with more of realistic explanation than mm-hmm. supernatural exactly but we'll see so do you have anything else on this great episode just great action real fun to watch
1: yeah, all in all, this was a great episode with a great payoff after 14 episodes of guessing and theorizing who's behind all these operations that have been going on. Now the audience knows, and time will tell when the team will find out. So I think it's very well done in this episode, and we got really good show to look forward to.
0: Yeah, and the next new episode is actually going to deal with what went on with Red Tornado and the mole plotline. So there's more revelations to come, which is exciting. Good deal. Alright, so with that everybody, we're going to move into a really fun and upbeat episode of Psych. Again, that sums up every episode of Psych. But this was a favorite of mine. Kind of close on the level of the Treasure Hunter episode. Which is one of my favorite episodes of Psych. This was the same kind of comedic plotline and I've always enjoyed the more comedic episodes of Psych, and this was a perfect one. So let's talk about the episode, Last Night, Gus. Not to be confused with Last Man. Standing. Psych you in the end.
1: A night of partying which no one remembers that turned deadly sets Sean, Gus, Woody, and Lassiter on the trail of their deeds and a way to clear their names of suspected murder. Unfortunately, they may have to depend on Sean's psychic memories of the night's events.
0: The Hangover Plotline. A concept that I didn't think deserved more street credit past the Smallville episode, Fortune, and The Hangover Part 2. But then again, this idea kind stumbled across the writer's room for Psych. As a retired police officer's boring retirement party turned into Sean and Gus waking up the next morning for this week's mystery to turn into a reenactment of The Hangover. But in fact, it wasn't just a reenactment of The Hangover. It was literally a breath of fresh air that Sean and Gus, having no memory of the night before, translated into Detective Carlton Lassiter's worst day ever, because he ends up getting framed for murder twice. However, what was best for old Lassie, was how he started the day. Because he fell victim to a spooning from not Sean's dad to the audience I was watching the show with. Thought it was. But the medical examiner, Woody, played by the great Kurt Fuller. And if you haven't been living in a cave for the past 20 years, watched Supernatural, or saw Ghostbusters too, along with probably pretty much everybody, Kurt Fuller has been did all sorts of movies and TV shows. Got sometimes a skinny guy, sometimes a fat guy, again, it depends on age, but he's most of the time known for playing a jerk. Except for here on Psych, where Mr. Fuller seems to be playing a medical examiner version of Sean at age 50. And I simply just cannot get enough of this character. Again, they had him introduce everyone at Comic Con, uh, Kurt Fuller. And he's a part of Psych, and he's just really been fun with this show. And I know we've gotten some great material from Kurt Fuller, as he in previous seasons, and that he introduced everyone at Comic-Con and ran the panel there. But in just two new episodes of Season 6, he's really made up the majority of my favorite comedic scenes in both episodes. Especially when it comes to his confusion between cocaine and the powdered sugar on donuts. And again, even though Kurt Fuller stood out to me in this episode, most of the fun came from our old favorites, Sean and Gus, as our favorite psychic detective went on all sorts of crazy rants about not having his memory retention skills from the night before, and Gus fitting the stereotype of the typical black man by freaking out at the sight of the horribly parked and destroyed Blueberry from the night before his events. So at that, Nico, what was your favorite comedic parts of this episode? episode. And also, also, what was your verdict verdict on on Woody the Medical medical Examiner examiner, seeming to have a bigger part this season?
1: My favorite scenes were the scene when they first woke up, and Gus kept saying, shouldn't someone be freaking out right now? (laughs) And he said it like five times, and it kept getting funnier each time. And then he finally does get to freak out when he sees the state of his car, the blueberry. Also, I like the scene in the medical examiner's office when Lassie was wearing sunglasses. Sean accidentally sent a text to the dead guy, and they found Gus's phone in the dead man's pants. And Sean was wearing the dead man's sandals. All good stuff. But, Dan, you're correct. Woody seems to have been made into a primary point of humor for this season. And you know what? I'm loving it. Yeah. yeah. His portrayal of a usually very serious TV character as the fun, crazy, zany, almost incompetent Metal Examiner is a, a fresh approach to the traditional, rigid archetype that we always seem to see. And it's made me smile yeah. the yeah. first five seasons, but it's really getting some laugh-out-loud moments uh, this season. I think they've stepped it up a notch, and I think they're going to give him, if they haven't already, a series regular position.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I think he loves it too. He seems to just be having a great time being on Psych and being considered as a different role, be it a more comical role than we see from him in the past.
1: Yeah, and I think that we're gonna see quite a bit more of Kurt Fuller this season as he's been lights out for the first two episodes, so why not yeah. keep keep him coming back?
0: But again, the nice thing about this is, even though this is happening, it's not because of a sixth season slump or that they're missing the ball or anything. It's just his characters evolved into this. Because Sean and Gus and Blaster and all of them are still equally as good. And on that note, going back to Sean, even though they made a joke out of it, not retaining his memories from the night before really did throw him off his game in this episode. And I really liked it that they went this direction in this episode because it gave this mystery a nice, solid amount of suspense. And that especially goes for the scene of the hotel room where the gas main was broken. Um, I think if... Sean knew what happened the night before and had his memory skills and wasn't so thrown off his game. I don't think that they would have been put into that a serious amount of danger. And also the, the sense that Sean might have not fully been on top of everything like he always has. I mean, it kind of adds a bit of suspense. It's a nerve-wracking thing. And at the same time, it gave us a nice, built-in excuse for Sean's dad to get in on the hangover fun. I mean, if they're going to do something... Terrific to four main characters. They've got to mess with Sean's dad. It has to be there. Yeah, they did it terrifically in this episode. And also, I always feel that Henry needs to get out of the precinct. I have enjoyed him more so in the first four seasons where he was out of the precinct and just would randomly pop up. I just thought it was more entertaining. So It was nice to see him randomly pop up more similar to What we're used to in the first four seasons so that was nice as well too and by the way i just have to ask has anyone seen henry's pants going on with a serious serious question, question a real question what were your thoughts nico on the writers decision to impair john's memory retention abilities and do you think it worked
1: yeah dan it was the only way the hangover theme was going to work this week if Sean was able to do his magic recall, the gags, in effect, would not have worked. They needed to have him drugged so the entire night was a disjointed mix-up of images. Otherwise, he would have just been able to recall what happened, and obviously we wouldn't have gotten this great episode. Also, I think it let Sean have his impassioned speech at the ME's office, in which he made it seem for a second that, he might actually believe he has a psychic ability well not really but it it was that impassioned that it made us think maybe he thought that because he talked about his gift being ripped away and he was talking about his almost scary or almost magical recall ability but everybody assumes he's talking about the psychic ability so that that was pretty awesome
0: you're right on the money there Nico it is a gift to him It's helped him several times in the past. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think he would have solved as many cases without it. Do you agree agree with that? that?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's what makes him a great detective.
0: What I loved it for them bringing in that aspect is they weren't saying that it was psych mimicking the hangover. It was the hangover mimicking psych. I like that they established it that way. Because I really thought when Smallville did it, that episode was fun, but that was a gimmick. You know, oh, what would happen if Superman experienced the Hangover? I don't think that they applied it realistically to the constraints of the Superman universe. And I thought this one did a much better job of applied to the constraints of the Psych universe. You know, it's like they took Hangover and they turned it into psych where i felt that the smallville was more or less turned into the
1: hangover you're right on target there okay okay
0: so you felt that as well then
1: yeah absolutely i said or i was uh thinking that despite the fact that the hangover episode has been done by quite a few tv shows thus far right and i would say almost overdone recently on tv Psych pulled it off, and I think they did a way better job at it than Smallville did, like you just said. I know many of our ATA fans will think that we just committed blasphemy against one of our flagship shows, but I did. I thought I thought this Psych episode was way better than that Fortune episode, and I don't think Smallville really – they did. They just copied uh, The Hangover, and what well, you said earlier about – Psych taking it to the next level or making it their own really is what I think was better about this episode. They incorporated it into the lives of the characters. They made it work, whereas with obviously with Superman, that's a lot harder to do. Or Clark Kent, or however you look at it. So right. I think this one was by far better, and I, I really liked it.
0: Totally with you on that. Thought they handled it. Better Again, Smallville was on its way out. So we have to say that there are other things in motion. So that might have been part of the problem with that episode. But moving on, back to Psych. The other thing I wrote here uh, about the crux of the mystery relying on Sean's abilities being somewhat wonky. I felt that it was also necessary because there would have never really been an excuse for Sean to leave Gus behind with the woman who turned out to be this week's killer. Also on the note of Gus's romantic entanglement for this episode, I like the idea of what this episode was appropriately titled, as Last Night Gus. But I'm getting to the point where I want Sean's super sniffer sidekick to have a romance that works out. I mean, if Sean got Juliet, then Gus for sure deserves something special in my book. So with that, Nico, do you think that this episode dictated possibly that it's time for gus to find a woman and if yes do you think she'll make an appearance this season
1: dan i don't think that this episode particularly made that statement that gus needs a love interest rather i think the fact that sean has gotten the girl means that we need a shipper relationship to root for at the moment right right since i don't see them screwing things up currently with sean and jules and that leaves lassie and gus and my money's on gus We want to see Lassie get a girl as well and I think that a love interest is coming for him too because in the premiere they brought back the fact that Sean screwed up his last major relationship when he outed Lassie with his former partner, a girl he really liked as he said just last episode. So yeah, I'm hoping we see Gus introduced to his Jules character soon and I think it will come this season. But I want them to have to work for it, like Sean oh, and yeah. Jules. I don't want it to just all of a sudden show up one episode or two episode long story arc. I want it to be the remainder of the season, and maybe at the end of the season they get together, or if you know we yeah. go into the next season, which I'm at this point I still think we're going to see another season. Yeah, then I think it's
0: been guaranteed
1: okay, I want to see it either at the end of this season or them build to that climax and it's the cliffhanger that gets us to next season. So yeah, I think Gus is on the way. I don't think this particular episode had anything to do with it necessarily. I just think we're there in the story arc and it's about time.
0: I also think that something in Sean and Gus's friendship will be established. Or there's a point that they have to get to for the relationship to work as well. Like, I have a feeling they have to work some issue out amongst themselves before Gus can get the relationship. On that note, my last point has to do with the uh, business regarding Sean drunk-calling Jules and saying that he was ready to move in with her. Because it's got me kind of feeling like we're somewhat dodging bullets in regards to the Sean and Jules' relationship say together? Nico, do you foresee a breakup between these characters at all in the future? Or are we going to get more of a Chuck and Sarah thing? Since romance really isn't the main focus of Psych, I would say it's more humor and the buddy relationship between Sean and Gus.
1: Dan, I mentioned before that I don't see them breaking Sean and Jules up, and I think Psych will go the way of Chuck, and keep them together, as you just said, it is not the primary focus of the show. Humor and having fun is. And I think it may work better with Jules and Sean than Chuck and Sarah did last season because of that point exactly, and because there is Gus and Lassie instead of just Casey on all the missions, or on all the cases in this case. Yes, Chuck and Morgan have a similar relationship to Sean and Gus, but Gus is a much more developed character than I think Morgan was when Chuck yeah. and Sarah got together. Plus, Sean is more like the Morgan character and Gus is more like the Chuck character, which is a reversal of, obviously, the Chuck storyline mm-hmm. with Chuck getting the girl. At least that's what I think going on and I got to say that's the way I see it playing well, out.
0: Have, you have the whole drama of Sean trying to keep the secret that he's psychic. That's one more thing that he's got to contend with
1: right and as we said last week we i think that that's going to cause some problems between them but not breakup problems just you know normal relationship fights or arguments nothing we need to worry about them calling it quits i think they're destined to be together and now that they are i don't foresee them sometimes we'll see the two main characters have a drunken one night stand and then they'll have to fix things and get back on track to eventually get together in the end or there'll be that love tension yeah. that never blossoms until the very end those are the cl- kind of classic routes if they keep them together for any length of time like they have on this if they break them up usually they don't get back together and that's just not where i see this show going and i, I would do dirt for the show Yeah, I would be really disappointed with that. So I think we're going to see them together. I think we're going to see a lot of funny things happen with them being together. We will see them argue, and she will get upset when she finds out that he's not really psychic, and he's been lying to her and the department for the entire length of their relationship, the entire time they've known each other. So we will see that, but we won't see them break up.
0: The other thing I'd kind of like to see – it would be like a one-shot episode. would be them running into a mystery while they're out on a date and seeing those worlds slam into each other. Because right now they've been separate. So that might be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, I think we will see that. I think they'll be called to a scene and they'll be out on a date like you just said. And they'll show up to the scene together and Gus will be late to the party because he was waiting back at the yeah. psych department or he was at his own house and so it'll be like an awkward moment for a second when everybody's like, ooh. <laughs> they yeah. just showed up together. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, that's great stuff. Well, as a whole, this was really just a great episode. It's like all around the board, just fun time. If you enjoyed The Hangover, if you enjoy anything that's funny, this was a great episode. And it really did an excellent job of psych, the people behind it, telling its viewers, that after six seasons, this show still retains its form with a solid mystery, character development, generated humor, and an overall blend of fun. That makes me really want to be in line for watching the next first episode. Which has to do with vampires. And I'm very excited about that. I think we're going to get 80s Lost Boys references galore. So that should just be a blast. So with that, Nico... Do you have any more thoughts on this episode of Psych? Or anything with Psych for that matter?
1: You know, I love this episode. And with Psych covering vampires and Castle covering ghosts next week, I think we're going to have a good couple Halloween episodes coming up.
0: I think so too. I think everyone's coming out with a pretty solid Halloween romp this year. So it's going to be good stuff. So with that, we're going to talk about uh, another crazy bunch that will probably also have an exciting Halloween episode. We're going to talk about the Dudfees and the Pritchetts who make up ABC's Modern Family.
1: Phil takes Haley on a college visit, and a lonely Claire goes out with Mitchell and Cameron. Meanwhile, Jay and Gloria consider having the talk with Manny.
0: I always have to say my Modern Family memory or favorite funniest moment from this episode would have to be the whole Cam and Mitchell ending up with the wrong car situation. The reaction from Cam that the fact that they had the wrong car was hilarious and how he started going through it looking for things like it was his own car was quite funny. Got also the woman whacking the car with the baseball bat thinking that it's her husband was also a quite hilarious moment.
1: I see you've met my wife. Yes, that was a great line. Yes.
0: So that was my, my family memory. What was yours, Nico?
1: Mine was Jay. I loved Jay and the Colombian soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was oh. it was just funny, and the whole the whole scene with them thinking Manny needed the talk yeah. was great. But really, Jay and the whole. Soap opera was, was hilarious, and how he had called their housekeeper to talk yeah. about it. That was pretty funny, too.
0: Do you mean the playboy?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Just the how she, Gloria, pronounces things. Downside up. That was yeah. the best. That was the best pronunciation of the episode with Manny Hagan from the sea. Crazy. Uh, and Phil was quite hilarious as well in this episode.
1: Phil's always funny.
0: Yeah, but... I always have to give him props. I feel bad not acknowledging Phil in some way with every um, Modern Family memory.
1: It's not the first time a woman's left me at this table with chicken wings. (laughs) That was one of his better lines of the week.
0: Yes. That was vintage Phil Dunphy. You gotta love him. Great character. So, all right. So, I think that pretty much settled things. We're going to jump things forward to our Big Bang Bazinga for this week. Got the Big Bang Theory episode the Ryanitis revelation. All with the big bang.
1: When his mother comes for another visit, Sheldon is disappointed that she stopped being the mother he wants her to be.
0: My big bang, Bazinga, Our favorite funniest moments for this episode. But it'd have to be right at the beginning of the episode with uh, Sheldon's mom discussing with Sheldon and Leonard the Christian cruise that she's going on. Where basically one of the activities was they absolve themselves of their sins through Christian skeet shooting. Where they basically write their sins on like a clay pigeon and basically shoot those sins away. So I thought that was quite a hilarious concept. And all kind of the crazy Christian things that Sheldon's Bob does is quite hilarious. And this was probably one of the ones that took the cake on that. So Nico, what was your favorite Big Bang that's from this episode?
1: Yeah, the entire Laurie Metcalf performance was my Big Bang Bazinga for the week. She is one of the best guest stars this show has, and this performance was no different. Now, it was hard for me not to enjoy Shelley's mom spouting groaner lines and touring churches. Although she did get a few better zingers than her son this week, which is unusual because Sheldon's always the funniest character for me and my favorite in the comedy department. However, my favorite line of the week had to be between Sheldon's mom and Leonard about Sheldon and Amy's relationship. (laughs) That was the best line. Yes.
0: I'd give you that. So, yeah, that pretty much covered the episode. Um, Just Laurie Metcalf stole the show. I mean, she's a veteran actress when it comes to sitcoms, so totally makes sense why she would be the center of this episode and the Big Bang Mazinga. So with that, we're going to move on to Last Man Standing and our favorite funniest moment from that sitcom because we're enjoying it and we want to give it some attention.
1: On Grandparents' Day at Boyd's Daycare, Mike makes a few off-the-cuff remarks which result in the toddler being expelled. With no other options, Mike must take his grandson to work with him. Meanwhile, Vanessa attempts to update her wardrobe with Mandy's help after a substantially older grandmother at the daycare compares herself to Vanessa.
0: So as I said before, since Community turned out to be off for a week, we thought Nico and I would make a stand in kind of this war that's going on on the Internet between uh, the critics loving Tim Allen's last man standing, and audiences loving it, uh, by taking some time to share our favorite funniest moment, from this show on our podcast. And as an audience member or a guerrilla-style critic, the funniest part of this episode, in my opinion, was the scene that took place in the daycare, where Tim Allen's shock over a little boy dressed as a fairy got his grandson to call him stupid. And so this was just a hilarious sequence where Tim Allen's opinions on things came back and bit him in the butt. So with that, Nico, what was your favorite funniest moment for this episode of Last Man Standing?
1: Absolute. the best scenes were the daycare scenes. I have to say I really do enjoy the scenes with Bones veteran Joel David Moore yes. as the new age hippie-esque preschool teacher. I think there will be some great uh, scenes dealing with Mike's bad energy with regard to this school in the future. And why wouldn't Mike have a problem with this school? Many viewers and I feel much like Mike does. you know, he lives in a world where everyone gets a trophy just for playing. Our kids don't keep score in sports, and we can't use the words like champ, winner, normal, or stupid because it might hurt someone's feelings. So these scenes speak to a common feeling in America right now. and the probably the reason that this show was created, the emasculation of many of our youth. So this is what's really speaking to me, and that's why I thought it was hilarious.
0: Yeah. I agree with that, and that's why I think here at ATA, we got to give credit to this show. I mean, the critics are panning it, but Nico, you and I are relating to this. And so I kind of want to stand up for that masculine side of America. I can say this show is pretty solid, so it fits our mentality here at ATA and you how... We see the world, and I figured, why don't we give it a little more credit since we had that open to the gap with community?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this show does a much better job than the one that follows it on ABC right afterwards, which is also trying to increase the machoism of America with Man Up, which I thought was not terrible, just not worth watching.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. I did uh, sit and watch Man Up following this episode. But uh, Last Man Standing was great. They've got a good old-fashioned Tim Allen Halloween episode. If you caught uh, Home Improvement, the Halloween episodes are always pretty solid. I heard this Halloween episode of Last Man Standing is pretty good. For those of you who are fans of 80s pop culture, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, will make an appearance on that episode. Nice. Yes, but she's probably kind of old now, so that might be (laughs) odd. But anyhow, we're going to move on to talk about a great CBS show that seems to be getting better with every episode. There's one glaring problem, which we will get into once again in this discussion, but we're going to talk about the person of interest episode, Judgment.
1: Recent Finch must protect Judge Samuel Gates, who wants nothing to do with their extra legal activities even though his refusal could cost him his life.
0: This week's episode of Person of Interest was fairly straightforward because it followed the simple plotline of a judge's son being kidnapped, and Reese being a task with the objective of saving him in order to prevent the judge from being forced to overturn on a case. In other words, this plotline was the generic kidnapping scenario that we have seen on countless other shows. But what made it so compelling here was Jim Caviezel's performance? I know that we've been praising his performance since the start of the series, but with these kidnapping stories, it always seems like the hero character comes across like a broken record. With the lines, I'll get them back when it comes to the victims, come the kidnapping, and where are they when it comes to getting the location, come the hostage out of the bad guys. But in the case of Reese, he did say these lines throughout the episode, but the way Jim Caviezel delivered them. With this smooth, soft, calm voice. Especially in his dealings with the judge. Freaking out about his son's welfare. That made me totally buy into Reese's unwavering confidence that he was going to get his son back. More so than if we saw him screaming or pulling a constipated act like the typical action hero. I guess what I'm getting at is that this episode showed that Jim Caviezel was able to play up this conviction within his portrayal of Reese, that makes you feel like you can simply just take his hand and everything will be alright, compelling us to root this character on just to see that there's truth behind his capabilities as a hero. So does that apply to you, Nico? Do you think that the sense of safety or security that Reese instills got the viewers watching the show makes his character compelling?
1: No, Dan. I think what makes him really compelling to watch is the mystery of his character. Okay. Him being the hero making us feel that everything is going to work out, that he'll make everything right, is comforting to the audience and the characters he's helping. But what is compelling for me is that he we don't really know that much about him, and we are also just slowly getting a peek into who he is and what his life was like before we saw him as a bum in the first episode. And on that note, this was the first episode of the series that we did not get any flashbacks or any real insight into our two main characters. But I think those scenes about Reese and Finch are really what make this show compelling. And the mystery about both their former lives is what is compelling about the character, you know, what really is gripping and makes us come back each week. It makes us tune in from week to week to learn more, just a little bit more, about our mysterious pair of vigilantes.
0: So it's because of the things that they're doing is what's interesting us in them. Like yeah, exactly. Like we want to get to know them more.
1: Yeah, we want to know where they came from, why they're doing this. It's very much... We, we always harp back to Batman because of Nolan's, the right. Nolan's involvement with it. But if you look at the comic book and the, we know Batman's reason for doing it, and that compels us in that s- stage. But right. in this, we don't really know what is the major driving force. We kind of understand Reese needed a purpose, and we kind of understand Finch had the means to – Provide that purpose, but we don't really know. We've guessed a few things, or what what are driving Finch, but we don't really know what's driving Reese yet. We know what where he got his skills, what he did, that he was special forces, but we don't know what turned him to the vigilante, and we don't know what turned Finch to the vigilante. So we need that backstory, and they're giving it to us in this slow trickle formula that is brilliant. That A lot of shows do because it is so compelling. It it brings us back each week to find out that little thing. And they're giving us just enough information each week to really be like, oh, I really want to keep watching this show because then we'll be able to find out in the end what those purposes and what those reasons for them doing what they do are.
0: Yeah. But for me, there's just really – there's something about Jim Caviezel's performance and his character – that's likable. Like, I really, when he was talking to the judge, he said, I will get him back. does not matter what it takes. I'm going to do this. I really bought into it. And it really was because he was so calm and collected about it. You know, normally it's like with a superhero character or whatever, they grab the guy by the collar and they shove him by the wall and say, calm down, I'll get him back. da 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 He's just like, I'll handle it. Okay, even the judge asked him, you know, who are you, what are you doing, what's that about? And he said, the only two questions you need to worry about is, where is your son and is he alive? Or something around those lines. And yeah. the way he delivers it, I just buy into it. it. just feels realistic to me, if that makes sense.
1: No, for sure. They're, they're great characters. What I was just saying is that for me, what's compelling in the story is the mystery behind those characters rather than the fact that he's makes us feel safe. That's very comforting for sure, but it's the mystery that is what's compelling.
0: Just kind of where I'm at is like, I don't even know if the comforting is really the word for it. It's just how he plays it. Okay. But for me personally, Jim Caviezel's performance as recent, this episode can be so sold that his confidence starts getting his son back. I almost thought Reese was going to take one step too far and he was going to end up dead or something was going to happen that would get the judge in trouble with the law. Again, in the end, this episode ended up going the happy ending route with the judge getting his son back and everything turning out to be fine. But I still just couldn't shake this feeling that Reese working towards achieving the son's safety was not going to come without consequence. Especially with the last two episodes featuring a twist to the conflict that left the story open-ended and bittersweet in its conclusion. So with that, Nico, based on the unwavering confidence that Reese displayed in this episode, and the previous two episodes not exactly being a win to the vigilante business, did you get the sense that something was going to go wrong with Reese rescuing the kid episode? Or did you foresee this episode's happy ending.
1: In a sense, something did go wrong in this episode. This was the first time we've actually seen Reese lose a fight in, in the scene where he attempts to stop the kidnapping at the very beginning of the sun and gets shot. I did not think that he would fail to get the kid back. I thought there was going to be this happy ending in the end, and I thought that he was going to turn the judge into an ally, which he essentially did. And I thought that it would be a colossal failure and a waste of an episode in if he had failed to save this kid. But it was important to see him fail at something, to know that he is not superhuman, he's not a superhero, but rather he's a man doing good work. He's definitely got advanced skills as a former Special Forces operator, but for sure he's not superhuman and he's not a superhero. He's just a normal man who's got a lot of resources behind him and a good training so that's what we needed to see we needed to see him fail at stopping the kidnapping because if he had you know it would have been a 10 minute episode otherwise but for the future of the the series not just this episode he had to fail at something because otherwise things get too easy for him he never loses a fight and we start thinking this isn't believable right. anymore. So now it totally is still believable. So, no, I didn't think he was going to get the son killed. That would have been right. a waste of an episode, I thought. Uh, especially since we we had that emotionally charged ending of last week. We didn't need that again this week. So I thought the happy ending was coming for sure. And he was going to turn this judge into a, a friend for sure.
0: Well, that kind of brings up... Something about the future that I have a feeling we'll might be seeing bigger losses or bigger defeats in the future. And that, you know, in future seasons, may have to depend on other resources, such as Detective Fusco, possibly Detective Carter, got some other people to get him out of a mess because he is a superhuman.
1: Yeah, and I think we're going to see eventually he's going to make, I think Carter. We'll talk about this in a minute. I think Carter will have to become an ally at some point, and we're going to have to see a national level person, so like an FBI agent, he's going to have to save an FBI agent, help an FBI agent, somehow get an FBI agent, not in his pocket like he's got Fusco, but where the guy owes him something, so that eventually he can help on a, a larger scale, but also that he's going to have some protection. Someone watching his right. back on a larger scale than maybe the NYPD can do.
0: Well, and it could also be someone that has to do with the machine or his past as well, too. Someone he already knows.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: All right. Well, I asked for something to debate regarding this episode. I'm still getting a sense that Detective Carter got this point. It's still going to get fixed. He's still really unattached from this show's overall story arc, even after changes have now been made in last week's episode to make her Detective Fusco's partner. Basically, like Nico said last week, all this decision did was give more to the character of Detective Fusco, through scenes of witty banter with Reese, which seem to be developing a plot line where Fusco is becoming obsessed with proving he's a cop who's capable of making a difference. And this, as we've said in the weeks before, has been a great thing. And Kevin Chapman's performance keeps getting better as the crooked cop develops into a hero. But we still have no idea why Reese's presence has had an opposite effect on Detective Carter. Plus, this character not really having a strong motivation to stop Reese makes her character come across as somewhat nosy. Which is especially annoying to watch at this point when she potentially stands in the way of my son being reunited with his father. I mean, when it really comes down to it, Detective Carter being made Fusco's partner should have easily solved this issue. But I'm still racking my brain why it's still not working. So, Nico, what do you think could be done to fit Detective Carter better into this story?
1: Bear with me. I got a little bit of a long response. <laughs> okay. Figured it would work. What sets this episode apart from previous efforts would be that all of the elements of this show so far, Detective Carter's hunt for the man in the suit, Reese and Finch's growing partnership, and the person of interest of the week were all given equal time this week to not take away from the overall effect of any other given piece. So they were all working together in this episode to bring together the person of interest puzzle for this episode. Also, like I said before, this was the first episode that we didn't get any flashbacks or real insight into our right. two main heroes. Rather, they seem to spend most of the rest of the episode dealing with the Detective Fusco's new job of keeping an eye on Carter. And maybe finally starting to fix that problem. Maybe. With having the character of Fusco dig into her investigation. And I think we will see him try to get to know her better personally and professionally and may be able to tease out of her the motivation behind her quest to find the man in the suit, Reese, by befriending her and spying on her at the same time. Unfortunately, I don't think this works fast enough for our problem with this character. This is the long con approach to figuring out what she is doing, and by the time we finally get some answers, we will have become so aggravated with her character and its lack of continuity or purpose that we can't and won't care by then. At least that's how I'm starting to feel at this point. I agreed. Yeah, I really think it is a problem. And the, the approach that they seem to be taking, as I said, the long con approach, is going to take many, many episodes, if not yeah. the entire season. And by the end of the season, when they finally, if at the end of this season, they decide to make her important to the story or bring her into the fold or somehow bring her out of this funk we're not gonna care we're gonna be like uh just write her out of the story by now you know we don't care she's not not adding to this show she's detracting from it because we don't understand her so yeah that's how i'm kind of feeling at the moment with her character and i hope that they're just feigning the long con approach and we'll actually jump into it but we've been saying that for four weeks now
0: You almost have to, and again, it kind of will feel abrupt, but I think they should just go ahead and explain it like next week or the week after.
1: Yes, please.
0: And just screw the lock on. It won't make sense now, but it'll be better in the long run. Absolutely. Because I mean, I can see critics going, well, this came out of nowhere. Yeah. Why are we explaining this so quick? But that way, at least she's connected to the story. Because right now, every time she comes on the screen, I'm getting annoyed. And, and it's you, nothing against the actress.
1: Yeah, you and me both, man.
0: Because she's like, get out of here. God, next week's episode doesn't seem to explain anything more with Detective Carter either. Jamore seems like they're going to give Risa brief love interest. So we'll see how that goes. But anyhow, with this episode, it ended up with Finch expressing an adamant concern about Reese giving out too much information regarding their vigilante activities, since they were helping a judge, that he pretty much could convict them. But Reese didn't seem to care about this issue as long as he can continue to save lives. So with that, and kind of looking towards the future for this show, Nico, do you feel that Reese's determination to save lives regardless of the consequences will be the basis of a possible short-term fallout between Reese and Finch? Or is one of them going to be proven wrong or right on their point of view?
1: I think that there will be a short-term fallout between these two characters that will eventually cause them to understand each other a little bit better and will strengthen their relationship and strengthen their bond, their partnership, everything like that. I think that we've seen it in the last couple episodes that they have had some disagreements. Finch definitely does not want Reese in the rest of his life, doesn't want him to know where he lives, doesn't want any of that feature. I think eventually they're going to have to become closer. They're going to have to trust each other more outside of just the working environment. And I think that this falling out that is sort of happening on the – Episode to episode, I think we're going to see a bigger fallout, a bigger blow-up between the two, that will cause this short-term fallout, as you as you put it, so well that will eventually they'll get back together. The next episode, of course, because there's going to be an, uh, some case that they have to right. work together on, and it'll bring them back together. But I think it's going to ultimately strengthen their bond and their partnership, right. and will work great for moving forward. The rest of the episodes and I think the way that they can do it have the the fallout and then show us some of the backstory for why they're both coming from this opposing situations have it work out because they both work together from both of their perspectives and then they'll understand each other better and realize that it can work both ways. But sometimes they have to do what they see right, and that'll make for a much better show and a much better partnership.
0: What's some nice stuff to play with. Exactly. Yes. Very nice stuff to play with. I do like that there is a morality conflict between them every week. But also this episode did a nice job of establishing a respect between the two of them when Reese thanked him for giving him a job and a purpose. Yes. So he does see some importance to that as well. So that's what's interesting is everything on this show has give and take to it. Where we see conflict in it, but also we see resolution and heroism as well. So I just can't wait to keep seeing what web of gray I guess this show keeps producing. The moral dilemmas are interesting to watch and are nice to think about. On a weekly basis, it's really good, thought-provoking, food-for-thought television, and I can't get enough of it, so it's great stuff. So is there anything else you had on Person of Interest, Vico?
1: No, I think we covered Person of Interest pretty well this week.
0: All right, so now it's time to move on to an episode of a show that can be very thought-provoking. I didn't think this episode was so much, but it existed anyway, and pretty much I thought it was filler. So we're going to talk about the Supernatural episode. Shut up, Dr. Phil.
1: Sam and Dean deal with a witch who is using her powers to terrorize a small town. They soon discover that she is taking out her anger with her husband, who she discovered was having an affair.
0: Violence. Extreme violence is the best way to describe this week's episode of Supernatural where guest stars Charisma Carpenter and James Marsters caused more death than bloody mayhem than their entire time got Muffy and Angel combined. It was scenes where their characters used the powers of witchcraft to do some pretty horrific things, including frying a woman with a hair dryer, killing a man with a nail gun, quite brutally I might add, decapitating another woman in a very nasty fashion, and making human hearts appear within cupcakes. Yes, actual, disgusting-looking human hearts. Now, obviously, in words, the description of these murders probably comes across as lightly. But for Michael and I, who were watching this episode, it was enough to make us turn away, then say, you. Or, in being more honest, shiver in pain. However, beyond this being one of the most violent episodes of Supernatural we've had in a long time, I didn't find anything more to be memorable about it. Or in other words, I can't really say that if it was good or bad. It was just there to entertain me for the 43 minutes needed to get to the next part of this season's story arc, or just to keep it moving forward. For instance, I felt that the two married witches of this episode who were basically reenacting the Michael Douglas movie, War of the Roses, really could have been played by anyone. Even though, as a huge Joss Whedon fan, it was nice to see... Chris Carpenter and James Barsters on TV again. Plus, on top of that, Sam and Dean's story didn't seem to go anywhere this week. Could just remained at the stalemate, come Dean feeling guilty that he killed Amy, could him really not be able to tell Sam about it, for obvious reasons. So with that being all I really have to say, since I know this season's story arc is going to be pushed forward by Sam and Dean having to face the Leviathan-created, Doppelgangers of themselves. I'm going to hand things off to you, Nico. With your thoughts on this episode of Supernatural.
1: The line, hearts in my cupcakes? Hearts in my cupcakes? There's That's never happened before. Hearts in my cupcakes? And Dean's response, should I slugger? Were all I needed to know, or all I needed to see to know that this episode was returning to Supernatural's campy horror roots, and that this episode was going to be a lot of fun. I liked this episode of Supernatural for the pure and simple reason that it was a fun episode with a standalone plotline and some great Whedonverse guest stars yeah. that I love. Chris Carpenter was great on Angel, and James Marsters has been great in everything I've seen him in, from Buffy to Angel to Torchwood to Smallville and beyond. But they both put in fun appearances on this great episode of Supernatural. Sure, the story did not progress much on the season-long story arc front, but they did capture a leviathan that may help them figure out how to hurt or maybe even kill these things, or at the minimum, get rid of one of them. Shut Up, Dr. Phil felt like classic Season 3 Supernatural, just a fun, gross-out trip that didn't try to do anything except appease those of us with a twisted sense of humor. For me... Despite not moving the overall story arc forward, this ranks near the top of this season's best episodes. If you're only looking for serialized storytelling and a continuation of the big bad story arc, then you're not going to agree with me on this. But come on, this episode was a hoot and a half.
0: I see. Yeah, you're right on that, Nico. You are. This was a stronger episode than what we've had in the past. So I don't want to want to say, but I felt it was filler, that it went off the beaten path, like one of last season's episodes.
1: Oh no, I I know what you were saying, and I know that it was it was not progressing the story forward yeah. at all, and that's okay with me for this episode because it felt like we've got to the point where, you know, we we've seen a bunch of good episodes this season that did progress us forward. Right. We are seeing. We're seeing Dean's character development with the guilt in the last two episodes. That was continued a little bit in this episode, but right. it didn't go any further. Like you said, that 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 was uh, something you would have liked to seen a little bit more of. Maybe uh, it didn't do that. So I, I, I do see that as a, you know, kind of a stall out there. But we've we've seen a lot of progression in the story arc thus far in this season. Right. So this was a good time to just throw in an off-the-wall story that didn't have to do with anything well, we've seen episode, before.
0: I don't think it was about them. It was about the guest stars. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's paying respect to two people that are a big part of the television horror genre. And without their characters or their performances, we might not have Supernatural.
1: Very much so.
0: So I get where they're coming from on that. I just I'm just thinking the overarching story and the brothers. That this episode wasn't about the brothers.
1: Yeah. So we did see a little bit of the brothers. You know, the guys who've been riding around in in a beat up car and sleeping in seedy motels for too long, having a good snip. You know, snipping back and forth, having good interchanges between each other. But really, that was the only character. moments for the boys they were kind of the background as you said the guest stars were the stars of this episode and that was the way it was intended to be to give us a break from the the action we've been seeing and give us a fun episode like I said I felt it very much felt like a classic season three episode which I, I loved season three you know it was great so I loved this episode I know it wasn't going to be the best episode for moving the story or when you look back at the overall fun we've had or uh, not fun uh, the overall good episodes we've had this season for on in the entirety of when we get to the end of the season we see how they beat the leviathan this one won't even register on your, your in your memory but for just having fun with a show that we didn't have any fun with last year except for after uh, Ben Elund came and wrote that great breaking the fourth wall episode where they were, went to Vancouver and had some fun, you know.
0: Yeah. Up
1: to that point, we hadn't had any fun. I kind of so, think the
0: fairies were fun.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm being a little oversimplifying. But it, that was but, a
0: Ben Eland episode as well.
1: Yeah, so, exactly. So
0: until Ben Elon came and had some fun.
1: Yeah, we didn't have much fun. Overall, we didn't have much fun in the first half of last season. So it's great to just throw a fun episode in there every once in a while and kind of remind us what originally got us to love this show. It wasn't – every week was not progressing the major story forward in the beginning at least uh, because it was a five-year plan. So they didn't have to jump into it and push it forward every single week. We got some of those fun episodes. We got the fun episode where the boys were meeting with all their fans of the fan fiction or the books that were being written about them and how their whole life was in a book. That was a brilliant episode that I loved, you know, and that this felt very similar to that feel that it was just fun. A lot of, you know, lot of fun
0: yeah so if you're looking for fun this is a great episode yeah if you're looking for story arc you might have not liked it so much
1: exactly but
0: all around classic episode of supernatural so i think that sums it up pretty much
1: yeah
0: all right so with that are you ready to move on to the closing for this week nico i am all right take it away
1: On next week's episode, we're going to be revealing our favorite comedic moments from Modern Family, The Big Bang Theory, and Community, as well as reviewing more new episodes of Castle, Young Justice, Psych, Person of Interest, Fringe, and Supernatural. Also, for those of you who are looking for ATA favorite Chuck to be on that list, we're going to be covering the premiere of the show's final season with our first ATA Chuck live show. So be sure to join us on October 28th on our Ustream channel, at a time that is currently being uh, discussed and will be announced later due to airing on the West Coast and East Coast issues. But Dan will get a note out to everybody to let you know.
0: Yeah, I think we may continue to go with the 9-15, 8-15 Central start time. And then we're going to just allow you people on the West Coast to jump in the discussion after, your, after Chuck is done carrying out where you guys are. That's what we're looking at doing. We'll see if that works. There's some issues regarding timing with Michael that's making it difficult to pull all that off. So we'll get back to you with what's going on in that, in that situation. Also, speaking of Michael, I recommend all of you to check out our weekly Smallville Retro Reviews Joe, hosted by Michael J. Petty and a newcomer to our show, Woo Kim. They're available in mini-podcast format. They're about an hour long episodes that review various episodes of an ATA favorite show, Smallville. Um, the episodes are kind of picked at random and whatever they're feeling like for the week they review, but it's a very entertaining show. Michael does it a great job with it. He's really excited about it. So be sure to check that out. Also, during the week uh, with their podcast. You can contact us in between episodes, about anything that we've discussed here on this podcast or at retro reviews through email. get our email address is across the airways at gmail.com the guy that's across the airways at gmail.com and also to get access to that email, you can visit our website at www.acrosstheairways.com. Can there on that site, you can click the like button to our Facebook page, where you can get access to all of the where you can get access to all of the TV and movie news that Nico posts during the Nico posts during the week and discusses on uh, this podcast. Uh, there's access to all the videos and website links and articles that he finds. You can also access our Twitter, which is across the airwaves. There's no the there, it's just a cross stairways. And you can keep up with everything we post on Twitter. Also, if you want to, you can leave us a voicemail with your opinions on any of the shows that we covered. Now, what's that number, Nico?
1: 773-809-3363.
0: Also, you can access, through our website, our YouTube channel, which is run by Michael J. Petty. And it features all sorts of promos for our big Across the Airways events, including our upcoming Chuck Live show on October 28th. Can also he has all sorts of trailers and promos get previews posted for all of our favorite shows that we cover. So definitely check that out. Can we also have all sorts of videos and panels from Comic-Con 2011 on that, on that YouTube channel as well. And for easy access to all of these ways you can contact us, you can download our Android app, which is available by clicking the link on the right hand side of our website. And by getting that app, you can access all of our uh, ways to contact us, as well as our podcast episodes. So, with that, once again, for our Smallville Retro Review hosts, Michael J. Petty and Woo Kim, I'm Dan Schmidt.
1: And I'm Nico Reste.
0: And until our next episode, We'll catch you out of the airways. Have a great week, everybody.